Uh, if you want to grab your Bible, you can open to the book of Exodus, um, chapter number 32, 26. I'm going to read just a part of that verse to take my text this morning. Um, I'm going to be preaching on the topic of choosing sides this morning. Choosing sides. And Exodus chapter 32, verse 26 uh, says this. You can take me down just a little bit more, but I'm kind of hot. Exodus 32, 26 says this. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? And I want to talk about uh, choosing sides this morning is the title of my message. So I want you just to bow with me this morning. Let's pray. Father, I recognize today uh, the importance, uh, the severity, Lord, of bringing your word, Lord, from not my own thoughts and my own opinions, but being a yielded vessel that you can speak to all of us today. I'm confident, God, that you've spoken to my heart, and this word has already challenged me, and I thank you for that. And I pray this morning that you would take your word and let it challenge the hearts of every person here today, that we can find ourselves each day with your heart, with your mind, following your direction, God, being on your side. And we recognize today we all have a choice to make. As you look across this congregation, as you look out across um, the live stream congregation, Lord, people watching uh, from many different places today, and you're examining our hearts. You're looking to see what side we're on. And I pray that you would convict people in their sin, that you would convict people today to a point where they recognize today their need for you, and they would come over to your side and be saved. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. So you remember what it was like uh, in elementary school, uh, especially, to be on the playground or in, in PE or something like that. That was always my favorite uh, subjects, PE and, and, and recess. Uh, but you get out there and all the kids uh, want to play kickball, so everybody gets in a big line and you have two team captains, right? And the team captains begin to, to choose teams. I want this one, I want that one. And you always start with the biggest, most athletic people, right? I always felt sorry for... Uh, those of us left to the very end, you know, um, but you always, you know, you begin to choose sides and you think, I want the best one, I want the biggest one, I want the most muscular, the most athletic, uh, and the team captains chose the teams. And we get to think about that from, from our perspective, uh, spiritually speaking. I mean, there are two team captains when it comes to our soul, Jesus and Satan, amen? And so the difference here in this particular situation is the fact that um, it's not necessarily the team captains picking sides. And the reason why I say that is because Jesus wants everybody on his team. Amen? The Lord doesn't look down at the earth and say, well, I'll take that one. I don't want that one. I'll take that one. Jesus has said some things like this in his word. I'm not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. God loved the world so much that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God looks down at all of the people on the earth and he says, I want everybody on my team. Well, Satan does too. God is not a respecter of persons in the sense that he wants everybody and Satan is no respecter of persons either. He also wants everybody. He wants to make everybody miserable. He wants to deceive everybody. He wants everybody to go to hell. So the team captains want everybody on the team. So in this particular game of life, it's up to us to choose which team we're going to be on. Amen? And Moses, standing here in front of the congregation of Israel, and, this, and I'm not going to go through all of the details of this. I want, I want to show you a pattern throughout God's Word. That's my goal today, to show you a pattern through God's Word on this particular subject. Take me down to these monitors all the way. Take Steve's mic and just shut the monitors down. Um, do what? They are? Okay, good job. 
Um, so um, Moses, I'm, I want to show you this pattern throughout God's word. And so starting off here, we see Moses gathering all the nation of Israel together. But you have to understand kind of what happened here. Uh, God, you know, is, is a nation. I mean, leave it on in the house, you know what I mean? So, uh, I want somebody to hear me. Um, so God is establishing, that's good. No, you don't mess with it. So God is establishing, unless I'm blowing everybody's eardrums out. Everybody by a show of hands, how, is this okay? All right. So uh, Moses gathers everybody together. Now, God is trying to establish them as a nation, and he's trying to get his laws in them. He's trying to get his statutes, his heart in his people. And he's, he's taught them things like, don't bow down to idols, honor your father and your mother, don't kill, don't steal, uh, honor, uh, uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. How many of you ever, does that sound familiar? We call them the Ten Commandments. God is instilling those principles in his people. And so Moses is up on the mountain and he's getting this word from God. And as he, as he comes down off of the mountain, he'd been up there for 40 days, okay? And the people began to get impatient and they thought, Moses isn't coming back. So they go to, to Aaron and they said, we want a God to serve, so we want you to provide us one. And Aaron says, okay, well, everybody take off your jewelry and your, your rings and stuff. And he melted everybody's gold jewelry down, and he made a golden calf. And he put this golden calf up on a pedestal, and he said to all of the Israelites, okay, here's your God that delivered you out of Egypt. And they gave this little golden calf that just stood there. Had eyes, but it couldn't see. Ears, but it couldn't hear. And they gave all God's glory to this golden calf. And so as Moses is coming down off the mountain, God tells him, he says, now look, your pe my people have already, they've already failed me. They've already forsaken me. They're giving praise to a calf made of gold. And Moses comes down off of the mountain and he sees all of these people dancing around, having a party, giving praise and glory to this golden calf. And he gets so mad that he just, he breaks the commandments, all of them. He literally broke the, the tablets. So upset that the people so easily had turned away. So ultimately, here's the thing. God gather, or Moses gathers everybody together and he's basically just going to weed out the people who turned away from God and the people who stayed true. And this is when, this is when he basically says this. I want to know, Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? Who's on the side of this golden calf and who is on the Lord's side? And I believe that God is still looking at every man, woman, boy, and girl and asking us that same question, who is on my side? Amen? There's only two sides. We, we have to choose. There are, we have to make choices uh, in, in this life. And so the only, to, to be on the same side as the Lord, we have to be on the same page as the Lord. Amen? In order to have God's blessing, in order to have eternal life, we have to be on the same page. We have to agree with God's ways and what God says is right and what God says is wrong. Okay? In other words, he's saying to the Israelite, Israel, you can't be on the Lord's side and be bowing down to idols, right? Have to make a choice. Jesus put it very, very plain in his teaching, and he said this. This is in Matthew 6, 24. No man, how many? Nobody. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The King James says mammon, which is, is money. Jesus is saying every person has to choose sides. We have to make a choice with our life. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve money, myself, lust, sin, and all of these types of things? There's a choice to be made. God calls us all to choose sides. So now with me, I don't know if you're like me, it takes me a while to make a decision, you know, at least 
um, the big decision. Well, what am I saying? It, sometimes I stand, at the I stand at the cabinet with different types of cereal, and it takes me forever to decide which one I want to eat, right? So I'm just, I'm just one of those, I analyze everything. You know? So when it comes, especially when it comes to big decisions in life, I have a tendency to, to analyze the outcome of, you know, if I decide this, this is going to happen. If I decide that, that's going to happen. That's good. We, we should do that in every aspect of our life. But there always comes a point where we have to make a decision. Amen? There comes a point in our walk with God where God draws a line and he, he, we are forced to make a decision. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30 through 31, Paul, right, or, or the, well, Paul is saying this. I'll explain this in a minute. But it, it says this. The times of this ignorance God winked at. But now, everybody say, but now. But now commandeth all men everywhere to, to repent. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. At times of ignorance, God winked. Here's the bottom line. Indecision is the wrong decision. Say that with me. Indecision is the wrong decision. In other words, in other words, not making a choice, we're ultimately making a choice. And so in this particular scripture, Paul is, is walking around Athens one day and he sees all of these different altars and gods and, and inscriptions and these people were worshiping every god that they could think of. And he comes up to this one particular altar and it had the inscription to the unknown god. So it's like, in other words, they're, they're worshiping every God they can think of, and then in case they missed one, they're going to worship the unknown God. And, and, and Paul says back in verses 22 and 23, you don't have to turn there, but Paul says, As I stood in the midst of, Mar, of Mars Hill, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the own, unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. You're ignorantly worshiping this unknown God. And he says, let me, let me just tell you about this unknown God. He begins to proclaim to them Jesus. But that's when he comes to this verse where he says, look, there's a time when God winks at our ignorance. He overlooks our sin for a time. But now he is calling everyone to repent. There is this, you know how it is whenever you have little kids and they do something, it's, it's really wrong. You know, if you've if you got a, a house full of company over and your, your, your little one, you know, two years old, just goes streaking through the house buck naked or something, you know. And we, we look, that's How many of you would agree that's wrong? That we shouldn't do that. But whenever our little kids do it, you know, we laugh, we kind of wink at each other, oh, you know, whatever. But now if they're, if they're 18 and they do that, there's a problem, you're mad. There, there comes a time... There comes a time where you don't wink at their sin anymore. There comes a time where you don't make excuses. There's a time where they have to make a decision. Am I going to do what's right or do what's wrong? And so with God, he's saying, Paul is saying to these people, with every person, God is so patient with us. He's so loving with us. When, 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 we're, when we're lost and we don't know him and we're living in our sin, God gives us grace because he realizes we don't know what we're doing. It's like Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And God winks at the sin or another. He overlooks it and he gives grace. But there always comes a moment in every person's life where God draws a line in the sand and says, but now you have to make a choice. And that moment is absolutely the most important person or most important moment in every person's life. Do I choose Jesus Christ as my Savior? Do I follow him as my Lord or do I reject him? That's the choice. Amen? Who is on the Lord's side? Moses asks. <clears throat> it's a pattern throughout the Word of God. A moment where people are forced. They can no longer ride the fence. 
We like to be on the fence, kind of like I was talking about. I don't really want to make a decision. I want to see how this thing turns out, and that's fine for a while, but there comes a moment. i got to pick a side. And so Joshua, we see the same pot, uh, uh, pattern with Joshua, who, who, was, uh, who took over leading the nation of Israel when Moses died. And there come a point. Again, they're getting ready to enter into the promised land and live where God wanted them to live. Joshua gathers everybody together. Because here's the thing. As God is bringing them out of Egypt and into the promised land, and he is making water come out of the mountain, he's making manna miraculously fall every day, quail, he's miraculously feeding them. Uh, these big, these nations with big armies are coming out against them, and God is running them off. I mean, God is just showing himself faithful all throughout the desert until they get to the promised land. And during all of that time, guess what some of the Israelites had hidden in their tents? Idols. Gods that they picked up when they were in Egypt. And so Joshua, you know, God dealt with that. God was patient with that for a while because he's proven himself. These people will surely, they'll see how faithful I am and they'll denounce their other gods. And he's, he's given them grace and he's patient. But there come a day where Joshua gathers them together and he says, all right, everybody. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Read that with me. Choose this day, but now choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers uh, served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, Joshua said, we are going to serve the Lord. Hey, he said, hey, look, if you don't, don't want to serve God, don't. That, honestly, I mean, God's a gentleman. God, hey, God gives us a choice. That's what free will is all about. That's what salvation is all about. God said, hey, I'm picking you for my team, but it's up to you if you want to be on my team or not. If you don't want to play on my team, don't. You don't want to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus as your Savior? Don't do it. You don't have to. That's what Joshua was saying. If you would rather serve these little idols that you've got, if you don't think God is faithful and you don't want to serve him, don't serve him. But you can't do both, Right? No, there's, there's no more serving him and serving his idols. Today, he said, before you leave this place, you're going to make a choice as to who you're going to serve. And Joshua said, I've already made up my mind who I'm going to serve. Me and my house, we're going to serve God. We we're on the Lord's side. We're choosing God and his way. Even if that means denying myself. Even if that means letting some of my gods go. I guarantee you, nobody in this room or watching by live stream, nobody, very seldom, probably in the United States of America, none of us have any issue. No, I, I bet if we went and looked through your house, I'm not going to find any Buddha statues. I'm not going to find any idols. You and I may not struggle with bowing down to idols and things, but folks, we know there's plenty of things that steal our heart away from God. Amen? We're still in a place where God is saying, okay, look, here's a line in the sand. You're either going to serve me or you're going to serve yourself. There comes that moment, the most important moment in every person's life. So let's look at it right now. Let's make it real. We look at where we're at in the world around us, where we're at in our nation. And this week, well, Tuesday to be specific, Tuesday we have to make a choice, right? We have to make a decision. There's two men on the ticket as, as it regards president. There's a whole bunch of things on the ticket. But we have to make a choice. We can't vote for two people. There's a choice to be made. And so, and I'm not going to hammer on that necessarily, but I want, I want you to just open your mind a little bit and listen. You kind of hear me out. 
Um, I think probably all of us can agree um, that America uh, has kind of been riding the fence on morality for a good long while. Amen? Would anybody agree with that? When it comes to morals, godly, biblical principles and godly morals, our nation has been riding the fence. And I just, I, I just feel in my spirit that we're at a point right now, this week, Tuesday specifically, where God is literally saying, it's time to choose sides. I think we're there. I really do. I'm not trying to be a prophet or nothing. I just feel like God has been so patient with our nation as we have swept morals under the rug and allowed everything and anything, you know, to govern our, our, our country. And, and, we, and God has just kind of winked at it. He's overlooked it. But there comes a moment, look through any history, especially the history of Israel throughout the Bible, there comes a moment in every person's life and in every nation's life where God says, okay, it's time to choose sides. And we're in a moment right now, this week, where we're literally having to choose sides. I'm not talking about a Republican or a Democrat side, okay? That's, that's meaningless, whether we're Republican or Democrat, Trump, Biden. It's not about the person. It's not about the party, not at all. And you know me. I mean, I, I, I do my very, very best. Let me say this as a disclosure here up front. Um, I do my very best to make sure that I don't get political up here, Okay. Because there are political viewpoints, and we all have different uh, political viewpoints. When it comes to economic policy, uh, foreign policy, military policy, all of these types of things, different viewpoints, and that's good. It's good to have different viewpoints because everybody's represented, and we come up with some, some good. So those are good, and I, I do my very, very best not to get political, and I'm not getting political today. My purpose in bringing up the election and where we're at is to show that Biblical principles and godly morals are the most important issues on the ticket, okay? Does, it doesn't matter. We can, we can talk about foreign policy and all that kind of I would never stand up here and give my political views on any of that kind of stuff. I have them. Hey, I'll tell you what. Bake, bake a lemon meringue pie, put on a pot of coffee, invite me over, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you what my views are on, on economic policy I have some views, <laughs> and, and I'll talk to you about those views, and I, would, I never do that up here, because those are the things, they don't matter really in the big scheme, they're important, but they don't matter in the big scheme of things. What matters is the moral and spiritual compass and the direction of this country. Everybody say amen if you agree with that. So when it comes, uh, when it comes to voting, we go into that booth, we, we, I want you to think about this, and God is saying, are you on my side? Okay, so when we go in there, I believe, and this is the thing that I, I've thought this more, never gave this any thought to any pastoral elections, but I have given it more thought in this one than any election before. And this is the thought that, that keeps coming to me, is that when I go into that voting booth, God's going in there with me. Amen? I believe that God is watching how we check those boxes. And it means more to God how we vote than you might think. I really believe that. Again, not because God's a Democrat or he's a Republican, not because God prefers one man over the other. He's looking for the moral policies and how we feel about things. So, again, not about economic policy, foreign, military, none of that kind of stuff. He's not watching to see how we feel about those things. Because quite frankly, here's a principle that God has put in his word. If we follow God morally, foreign policy, economic policy, all that stuff will take care of itself, right? Jesus said, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his what? His righteousness. What is righteousness? It's, being, it's doing right in the sight of God. It's being moral according to God's standards. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will work out. 
will be added unto you. The most important thing is morals. That's the issue when we stand in the booth and vote. I'm not saying, I'm not being political. I'm trying to bring this from a biblical pattern. So here, let's make it realer. Realer, is that a word, teachers? Realer? No, it's not, I'm getting heads shaking. More real, thank you. Let's be more real, all right? As I am, we need to do some research. Think about it. this. God's going in the booth with me. He's watching how I check. What means more to me? The money in my account or the morals and the spiritual direction of our country? So he's looking as as Dennis is voting, and he's looking to see, Dennis, are you okay with killing children? Are you all right? Are Are you okay with that? Murdering, endless, slaughtering children. Are you okay with that? Because who I vote for determines whether I'm okay with that or not. Do you see where I'm coming from? And I say this with all the love in my heart. People say, oh, that's, that, that's not an issue. Yes, it is. It's an issue. In, in, in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 6, I believe it is, there's a list of, of things that God hates. And it literally puts it that way. These are the things that God hates. And there's a whole bunch. You ought to read that list. A, pride look, a proud, proud look, sowing discord among the brethren, fighting amongst the church. I mean, I mean, God says, I hate that. But one of the things on that list is the shedding of innocent blood. The shedding of innocent blood. What's more innocent than an unborn baby, right? So anybody, anybody, and again, this is not political, this is moral. Anybody that, that thinks it's okay and will support organizations that find it morally okay to go into a mother's womb and, and rip that baby out and cut it into a thousand pieces and throw it into a trash can. Folks, that is, that's more, that's, that's the shedding of innocent blood. There's nothing any more immoral than that. Am I going to support somebody who supports that? That's not to condemn anybody who's been in those shoes. There's been a lot of people who have had abortions that have been gloriously forgiven. I'm not condemning. I'm just saying this is a direction of our country. This is a principle. This is an issue where we have a country have to decide, am I okay with killing children? I have, to, I have to decide as I'm in there and God's watching. Okay, Dennis, do you agree with me? Because God has an opinion on this. God says, do you agree with me that marriage should be between one man and one woman? Because there's a lot of people that don't think that anymore, right? And let me specify, these days you have to specify, a naturally born man and a naturally born woman, one of them. Do you, do you agree with me, God says, do you agree with me that it should be one man and one woman? How I vote determines whether or not I agree with him on that or not. Amen? It's, it's the moral issues. It's not the political issues. Am I comfortable with politicians who are increasingly trying to silence Christianity? Watch, watch the news for just a little bit. Listen, there is an undercurrent in this country. Say, oh, no, this is America. We have the freedom of religion. We do right now. But there is an undercurrent. Listen to some of these politicians, folks, and their, their desire to silence Christianity. Do you know there have been bills in place and put in motion that literally would, would consider what I've just said in the last five minutes a hate crime if they were passed? Okay, so I'm voting for people. I have to determine. Am I going to vote for somebody who's going to stand for my Christian values or not? I think, we ought to, I think we ought to consider, this is just a side note, you do with this whichever, whatever you want to. I think we ought to consider how politicians view the nation of Israel. I still think that little old country over there is pretty important. <laughs> you know, God said something in his word way back. He said, I will bless the nations that bless Israel, 
and I will curse the nations that curse Israel. There, I don't think there was a sunset clause on that. I think that was a forever thing. Side note, take it for whatever you will. I, I, want, I want to make sure we as a nation are backing Israel. There's a whole world I could preach a whole sermon on that. So all of these things into consideration, there's a, there's a ton of them. I, mean, I could go on and on and on, and I won't. These, these moral issues that are on the ticket. And so, do I say, God, I agree with you, so here's how I'm going to vote. Or do I take the attitude, well, as long as, as, long as I have good health care, right? As long as the tax plan is good, as long as, I'm not, as long as I have more money, that's really what I'm going to be thinking about. Couldn't be anything further from biblical direction. Our Christian faith, now get this, and I think you can surely agree with this if you really think about it. Our Christian values, our, our Christian faith should be visible in every aspect of our life. Is that true? It should literally, our Christian faith should govern every, let me repeat, every decision that we make should be governed by our Christian faith and our Christian values. I'm, I'm always a little shocked and amazed at, at the people who say things like, oh, how I vote has nothing to do with my Christian faith. It absolutely does. I, it really does. You can't, I mean, we can't take the Christian armor off when it's convenient for us and then put the Christian armor back on when it's convenient for us. Either, either our Christian faith, our Christian values governs every decision that we make or it doesn't govern any of them. You, we can't separate our decisions and our any aspect of our life, we can't separate that from our Christian values. Okay? On our job, can you imagine, let me put, let me put it to you like this as an example. What would you say to me, let's say, you know, back when I worked at the bank, and let's say I embezzled money from the bank, and you come to me and you say, Ryan comes to me and says, Dennis, man, you're a Christian, you're a pastor, you really shouldn't be embezzling money. And I say to him, well, my Christian faith doesn't have anything to do with my job. Would that, would, would that be justifiable? Would that make sense? You, you know, you'd be like, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Of course your Christian values have something to do with your job. It's what keeps you honest. Our Christian values have everything to do in, in the decisions that we make in raising our children. What we allow them to do, where we allow them to go. If you, if you take that out, well, my Christian faith doesn't have anything to do with how I raise my kids. Of course it does. Doesn't have anything to do with the way I watch TV. Well, sure it does. Your Christian values is what helps you determine when you should turn the TV on and when you should turn the TV off. When, you're, when something comes across the, the screen and it's immoral, Something in you, your Christian values say, turn that off. We, we can't separate it. We can't apply our Christian values to some areas of our life and not in the others. And that accounts also within our voting and so on and so forth. And consider this. God has, God has always, check it out historically, especially biblically. God has always held those in control of government He's always held them responsible for the spiritual direction of the nation. Let me say that again. Every person in control of government, God holds them responsible for the spiritual condition and direction of the country. Okay, so, for example, if you go back in the Old Testament and you find a king who was wicked, and it, it, the Bible says that he did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. That king that, that, that ignored God's morals... He led the nation in a spiritual down, downslide. 
God held that guy responsible. He governed the nation. I put you in charge. I allowed you to govern the nation. And you were in control of what direction spiritually the nation went. And I hold you responsible. So in the United States of America, in a democracy, republic, who ultimately is in control of the government? Your history teacher. (laughs) Who's in control of the government of the United States of America in this democracy? We are. The people. This is a nation that is by the people and for the people. The people, we the people, are in control of the government, and therefore we, are, we the people are responsible for the spiritual direction of our country. Do you believe that? I believe that. If anything pans out throughout the scripture, it's that. It makes a difference, okay? Israel, Israel decided, see, when God first established Israel, it was a theocracy which means it was a nation governed by God. Literally, God made all the decisions. Moses was the leader of Israel, but he would go to God and say, okay, God, here's the, here's the thing we're facing right now. What do you want us to do? God made the decisions. It was a theocracy. But the, but the people of Israel, they go to God and they say, you know, we would really rather have a king like all the other nations have. I mean, all these other nations, we see how they've got a king and he's got a castle. We just think that's cool. We want to be like, we don't want to be different. Literally, Israel saying, we don't want to be different from all the other nations. We want to be like them. So we want to have a king like they do. And God said, no, 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 you don't. You know, you don't want to be governed that way. A king will tax you. He will take your sons to be his soldiers. He will take your, your daughters to be his servants. He'll take your vineyards. He'll take your land. You don't want a king. Oh, yes, we do. We want a king. And they, they went on on. So God said, okay, here you go. He gave him a king. And you'll never guess what that king did. He taxed them. He took their sons. He took their daughters. He took their lands. Bottom line is, the people paid the price for the decision that they made to ignore God's plan. Amen? So this applies in every aspect of our life. As a nation, Ronald Reagan said this, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Let me read that again. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. At any moment that we as a nation, the majority of the nation, chooses prosperity, economic policy, foreign policy, health care, any of those things, we as a nation, when we choose those things over morals, we will be a nation gone under. Do you think that the United States of America is unsinkable by God? That didn't work out too good with the Titanic. Even God can't sink this ship. Oh, yeah. Even God can't sink this country. No, 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 we're too strong. Let me tell you something. The moment, this, this, again, I'm not being political. I'm trying, the reason this country prospered, folks, is because the men who started it got on their face before God. They got on their knees and they seeked God as to the direction that he would have them to go. And they based the foundation of our country on biblical principles and godly morals. Morals were more important than prosperity. And that's why God blessed this nation. And the second that changes, everything's gonna change, amen? I, uh, I, I'm more passionate about this than I've ever been. Again, I say to you this morning, I realize here today in this room, out there watching by live stream, those who will watch this video later, every, every week our, our service gets viewed throughout the week by hundreds of people, and I think that's awesome. And so I'm not so naive 
is to think that everybody out there and everybody in here agrees with me politically. I'm not that naive. And, and my, my uh, uh, goal this morning isn't up here definitely not to make anybody mad, not to sway you to my party, which we, we can discuss over lemon meringue pie if you want to. I, I want us to look at things from a moral perspective. Amen? That's all I'm asking. God's going in that booth with you. Pray diligently before you cast the ballot. So I went on there for just a little while because it's, we're on the cusp. Okay, we're on the brink right here. Two days from now, um, the, the, the whole fabric of our nation could be changed. Think about that. But that's not the main point of this message. The main point of this message is for all of us to realize as individuals, in our own spiritual walk, there comes a moment where decisions have to be made. Amen? That same nation, Israel, in a different day, different century, they're all still having a problem with that whole idol thing. They've got a wicked king, and, and even more wickeder, I'm certain that's not proper grammar, but I thought that sounded pretty cool. A king, a wicked king, and an even more wickeder queen that worships Baal, okay? That was a false god that was pretty big in the day, in the Old Testament, statues everywhere. And this queen... Jezebel, she's really fond of Baal, and she's got 150 prophets de devoted to the worship of Baal. And they are literally leading the entire country away from God and leading them to Baal. Guess who God held responsible, by the way? I'm moving on from this, but to make my point. Guess who God held responsible for leading the nation away? Ahab and Jezebel, the king and the queen. Anyway. 150 prophets of Baal into leading the country towards serving Baal. And the nation of Israel is on the fence. They're on the fence. They're, 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 they're kind of doing their sacrifices. They're, they're still worshiping God, but they're also worshiping Baal and Elijah, the man of God in a different generation that God raised men and women in every generation to say what I'm saying to you here this morning. Elijah stands up to his generation and he looks out across the congregation of Israel and he says to them, how long halt you between two opinions? The ESV says it like this, how long will you go limping between two, two different opinions? When you think about limping, it means you're handicapped, right? it means you're injured. And he's saying, look, you, you're, you're, you're flopping back and forth between gods. And, and Elijah said, how long are you going to do that? And he says this to them, see if this sounds familiar. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Same thing Joshua said. Hey, guys, look, if you'd rather serve Baal, do it. But don't serve, don't do both. Jesus in Revelation speaking to the churches, he said, I would rather you be hot or cold. Because if you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. You know that literally, you know what Jesus is literally saying? I would rather you serve me not at all than to serve me half-heartedly. Than to apply me to part of your life, but not to the other. I, he, got, he said, just don't serve me at all. I, I want all of you or I don't want any of you. I don't think that sounds too selfish. Did any of you, you lady, you, you men and women, when you got married, didn't you kind of want the same thing? When you stand before a preacher and all the congregation, what if, what if I mean, nobody says, well, if, I tell you what, if, if you'll just give me, you know, 51% of your time, then you can give 49% of your time to other women. I'm okay with that. I, I've done a lot of weddings. I've never heard anybody say that in their vows. 
everybody always expects that you deny all others so long as you both shall live in sickness and in health. We're not satisfied with sharing the love of our life and, and God shouldn't be satisfied with sharing us either. Amen? How long are you going to, if you want to serve Baal, serve him. If you want that old hussy down the street, go get her, but don't marry me and try to do both. Make a decision, he says. If you want Baal, take Baal, but otherwise serve me. You can't go back and forth between two opinions any longer. Now, today is the day of salvation. You have to make a decision today. So this kind of puts you in a little bit of a spot. I believe that we as individuals, if you don't know the Lord this morning, you have to do something with what I've just said to you. And I'm not talking about the voting, just the voting thing. Now, you as Christians, you people, we got to do something with that. Okay, I, I, think, I think that we're without excuse now because of what God has put before us today. And you may go out here saying, well, Dennis, he just, I didn't like that. I didn't agree with that at all. I'm, I'm sure, I'm certain that, I, you know, normally on, on our videos where we have a lot of thumbs up and likes, I'm certain I'm going to get a lot of down thumbs. That's okay. Thumb me down. I'm okay with that. Because I, I'm not up here to make, uh, you know, win a popularity contest. I, I, I know with all of my heart that this is what God is saying to the church right now today. And so we're without excuse and we have to do something with this. Okay. We have to do something with Jesus. Some of you may be watching out here live stream this morning, you're not saved. You're trying to decide, do I serve? You have to do something with this. Let me, let me give you an example in a natural sense. You know, if you get, on, if you get in your car and you get out here on the four lane and you start heading out this way uh, and you're going across the bridge and you know, Coastal's over here on the right and you've got Loves and everything over here on the left and, and you, you get across it, there comes a point. You can, you can be in the right lane or you can be in the left lane. It doesn't really matter. You can just kind of, you can ride right down the middle of the lane if you want to. In fact, there's, there's three or four of those lanes. You can ride right down the middle, and that's fine. Nobody says anything. But there, there's coming a point, right? That you're driving down the road. You're in the middle lane. But there is coming a moment where you have to make a decision. Because the road does this, right? There's a why in the road. And you have to decide, am I going to Mountain View or am I going to West Plains? You, there comes a point you can't put it off any longer. If you put it off even one second too long, you're in a wreck. You're in the ditch. And so spiritually, God says there comes that moment, that why in the road, you have to decide, are you on my side or not? Amen? And to choose the middle is to choose against God. I said it a minute ago, I'll say it again. Indecision is the wrong decision. Are you saved this morning? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you been thinking about it, but you just can't quite decide? Today's the day. Make the decision to serve Jesus. Have you been walking a compromised Christian life? And I'm not pointing my finger at you because I'm, I'll stand up here and I will look you all in the face. And I will admit to you there's been times in my Christian walk that I've lived compromised. Plenty of times, even as a pastor, where I've walked the middle of the road. God calling me to do this. And I'm just not willing to, you know, Gethsemane is a hard place to be. Jesus knows what that was like in Gethsemane. He's, he's kind of torn. Lord, I, 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 I'm dreading the cross. If there's, I'm dreading the pain that I'm about to go through. If there's any way to let this cup pass from me, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, I know what your will is, that you want me to go through with this at the cross so that mankind can be saved. And so he's in this, why? There come a moment, guess what he had? He had, he had to decide. And he stood to his feet, he squared his shoulders, he broadened his chin, and he marched towards the cross. He chose the Lord's side. He chose to do what God had said do. 
So I hope that this morning, if you're living, if you're living in that compromise, that you'll, you'll, you'll just jump on over there and take the Lord's side this morning. Just give him all you've got. In every aspect of your life, your job, your life, your personal life, your, your political views, everything. Give him everything this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow with me today. Father, this morning as we come before you today at this point in, in the service, where God, throughout the worship, the ground of our heart was all tilled up, softened and ready for the seed. God, as I did the best that I could this morning to sow the seed and share the word that you have placed in my heart to bring biblical principles out, God, I pray, God, that that seed find good ground in our hearts. And this is the moment right here where fruit begins to grow. Either fruit begins to grow or the birds come and snatch away the seed. Where either the enemy wins and we let all of this just go in one ear and out the other and it doesn't change us, or we receive it and it changes us. And, and God, that's out of my hands now. I can sow, I can plant, I can water, but I can't give the increase. That's your work. And I believe that today, both here in this building and out in the online world, God, that your spirit will do its work to produce fruit in our hearts, that you would draw us out of the darkness and into the light, that you would change us, that we might be less like the world and more like you. That requires a spiritual birth, requires a work of your spirit, your Holy Spirit, God, to change us. Hallelujah. Have your way today, we pray 